From Asia Pacific Arts, this is Bullet Train, a podcast about Asian pop culture. I'm Ada Singh. On this episode, we're talking about the Japanese-inspired game show America Ninja Warrior. Do you watch American Ninja Warrior? If not, let me tell you about it. It's a reality TV competition where contestants tackle these crazy looking obstacle courses and see how far they can go. And the obstacles look insane, but in a really creative way. Like imagine a wall hanging over a body of water and there are these doorknobs spaced out all along the wall. And to get from one side of the wall to the other, you have to grab the first doorknob with one hand and swing to the other doorknob with your other hand all the way through and the doorknobs spin. It looks both ridiculous and super difficult. So part of the appeal is going, how the hell did they even come up with that? And the other part is watching athletes go from one doorknob to the other, like it's the easiest thing in the world. For the viewers at home, understand this is so challenging, so hard, and look what she's doing. Look at that! What? Shut the front door! She's about to do the impossible for a second time! Oh my goodness! It's based on the Japanese competition show called Sasuke that started in 1997. Sasuke is a reference to a famous ninja that shows up in a lot of Japanese children's stories from the early 1900s. An English dub version of Sasuke called Ninja Warrior used to air on the channel G4. It wasn't until 2008 that America created its own version. Ask anyone in Japan and they'll know what Sasuke is. It's been going on for 17 years and actually, a lot of the American Ninja Warrior competitors were big fans of the original Japanese show. When did you first hear about American Ninja Warrior? Geez, I think I was in college, maybe my first or second year? That's Yen Chen. I was just bumming around at a friend's place. There was like this horribly dubbed version of like a Japanese game show. I just thought it was the funniest show and I saw people competing on it and like having these horrible wipeouts. And I just remember pointing and laughing like, these guys suck. Like I could do so much better than that. So what gave you the confidence that you thought you could do better than those? Foolishness? <laughs> Bravado? I don't know. Needless to say, the course wasn't as easy as he thought. His first try didn't go so well. I was like super cocky right now and I was like filled with confidence. And I ran this course and I went out on like the third obstacle. It was humiliating. It was the trampoline to the uh, cargo net. I think they called it the hang jump or something. Essentially, I have not trained on a trampoline before, um, but I figured I did not have to because a trampoline was something that you see kids doing. And if kids could do it, then an adult could do it. And I was horribly wrong. Oh! Unbelievable! So Yen did eventually do pretty well on the course. Last season, he was one of only 18 to make it to stage two of the finals. Stage two of the finals. That sounds complicated, right? Let me explain. The finals take place on a metaphorical mountain called Midoriyama, where there are four stages. So this is one of the ways that the Japanese and American versions are different. The Japanese version of the show is a three-hour TV special, where the competitors move from stage one to two to three to four, if they even get that far. They have a new episode about twice a year, and last summer they just had their 30th episode. The American version is much longer. Hollywood, of course, turned it into a bigger spectacle. So instead of having each competition wrap up in a single episode, they drag it out over a course of an entire season. So there are city trials to compete to even get onto the mountain. There are qualifying rounds and finals, and then the top competitors from all five cities go to Mount Midoriyama. 
So back to how Yan Chen was one of only 18 to make it to stage 2. Most of the finalists fail at stage 1. So moving on to stage 2 is pretty monumental. Because guess how many made it to stage 3 last year? 2. And guess how many completed the course? 0. One of the things that I guess that a lot of people didn't understand is that there isn't a winner. That's James McGrath. American Ninja Warrior has been going on for six seasons, and he's been on five of them. hundred people show up, and then they're like, so who won? It's like, nobody won. Well, who made it the farthest? This guy did. So he won. No, he lost too. <laughs> the American audience, I guess, had a hard time with that at first. But when you realize what it's all about, you know, that it's not, it's not just a game show. It's, it's trying to push yourself to do something that is supposed to be impossible. In the past, there have been over 30 episodes of American Ninja Warrior per season. Last summer, there were only 16 episodes, but that's only because they're all two hours long. A lot of the time, you're just watching people attempt the same obstacle and fall into the water. Now it airs on primetime on NBC. But before, when it was on the cable channel G4, the Japanese Ninja Warrior wasn't just popular amongst Asian Americans like Yen Chen. It had developed a cult following. Here's James McGrath again. The show came on, Ninja Warrior, and I like instantly, I was, I was hooked. <laughs> Stage one was kind of funny because they got, you know, they have very silly people on it. But... When someone did beat stage one, it was, it was an accomplishment. You know, it was an actual like athlete that had to like struggle to get through it. And then as it progressed, it got more difficult and the tone got more serious. You know, by the time they got to stage two, they were, you know, no more joking. It was like, Hey, let's watch these guys do something incredibly difficult. And the first time I saw it, I, I think I was actually watching part of stage three, which is they get deadly serious. It's almost comical how serious the announcers get for stage three on the Japanese version. Like he's saying things like, oh, as he's, you know, crossing this obstacle, the muscles are tearing under his flesh with the stress and pressure. Will he make it? Will he cross? And then he falls in the water. And he's like, no. He, he has shamed his family with a thousand years of defeat. And it was just like, what is going on? I thought that was really cool. So when Hollywood decided to do their remake of the show, a lot of fans were excited because this was their chance to actually participate on the show they loved to watch. But there was also a lot of skepticism. This was 2008, and there was a slew of Japanese-inspired game shows. American Ninja Warrior, Wipeout, Hole in the Wall, and even one called I Survived a Japanese Game Show, all premiering the same year. And it's also worth mentioning Iron Chef America, the popular cooking battle show which premiered a few years earlier. There were so many that Asian Week published an article called Cool Japan, Why Japanese Remakes Are So Popular on American TV and Where We're Getting It Wrong. They were concerned about Japanese stereotypes. The idea that the Japanese were portrayed as goofy and that Americans were making fun of a culture without understanding it. Or to some, something like American Ninja Warrior just didn't seem right. I was kind of turned off by it. It just seemed technicolor and kind of like Disney World, and I didn't like it. That's Jamie Wright, a professor at St. John's University who wrote an essay published in 2009 titled Performing Perfection, 
or How to Be a Ninja Warrior. She wrote about how we love hero stories. This is true of all cultures, she says. Because heroes save babies from frozen lakes, they pull people out of fiery towers, they win contests of physical strength and intellectual challenge. And even more, Ninja Warriors showed that anyone could be a hero. Viewers of Sasuke loved competitors like Makoto Nagano, one of only three people to ever complete the course. They call it achieving total victory. And he wasn't even an athlete. He was like a chain-smoking fisherman. Nagano's everydayness was a testament not only to his own sort of inner personal individual strength, but also the fact that people who work in these commercial fisheries are super strong and powerful. Like there's a value to being a worker. There's a value to being something that in other cases would seem unimportant, if not invisible. You know, we just eat this food, we do this stuff, whatever. But then we have this amazing sort of representative of how fantastic some people who work in places that we always think of as invisible might actually be. And there might be more of them. I like that story, too. Part of the charm of Sasuke is that most of the competitors are common people. If you look at their descriptions, they're not Olympic athletes. You see titles like shoe salesman, painter, hedge trimmer, gas station manager. Jamie really liked the Japanese show. But when she watched the American version for the first time, she just remembers a lot of colors and false lights. She says it was as if the Japanese course was made of wood and ropes, and the American one was made out of polyurethane. You could make something out of polyurethane and wood, and both of them will be impossible for me to climb because I am incompetent. But like, I don't know, there's just something more like ninja-y about something made out of wood. Polyurethane is not ninja. It's just the opposite of ninja. I can't think of anything more opposite of ninja than something made out of like red plastic Tupperware. Jamie, like many American Sasuke fans, were quick to reject American Ninja Warrior and never tried watching it again. But that was six years ago. Next up, has it changed? Were the critics right to be skeptical? If you like Bullet Train, check out our online magazine Asia Pacific Arts, where we bring you the most recent news about Asian pop culture, whether it be K-pop, Bollywood, YouTube stars, video games, or anything in between. If you like any of these topics, you can even write for us through our internship program. To find out more, check us out at asiapacificarts.usc.edu. Earlier in the show, we were talking about people who love Sasuke but weren't big fans of the American Ninja Warrior remake. But here's the thing, you hear that all the time, right? That the original was better? People are often suspicious of remakes in general. But mostly it's because you don't want somebody to ruin the original version that you already love so much. I totally understand that. So I love this Japanese movie that came out last year called Like Father Like Son. It's by Hirokazu Koreeda and it played at the Cannes Film Festival where Steven Spielberg bought the rights to it for an American remake. Nothing against Spielberg, but it's like they're totally gonna ruin it. It's such a subtle, perfect movie and the Hollywood version is gonna star Nicolas Cage and it's gonna be a cheesy holiday family film. I don't even wanna think about it. It just hurts my heart. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with a remake. It's just that, especially when it comes to Asian stuff, Hollywood has messed it up so many times. But American Ninja Warrior is kind of a unique case for two reasons. One, because unlike every other Japanese game show remake, its popularity is somehow growing and growing. And two, every single season has been a little bit different. They keep changing the format. 
It started out as something called America Ninja Challenge. People had to create videos showing their ninja moves, and those chosen would get the chance to compete in Sasuke on the Japanese course. Later, it turned into a boot camp where the show was about training Americans to do well on the course. It was so influenced by popular American reality TV shows at the time, they actually put them all in a house together and made them do challenges. James McGrath and Ryan Stratus were two of the American competitors that were able to compete on the Japanese course back in 2010. For both of them, it was a dream come true. They even got to meet the Japanese competitors who were their heroes. It was McGrath's first time in Japan, and he just remembers totally standing out. We all kind of did, and people would always, you know, people were friendly over there, and they'd always ask, So, what are you、uh, doing in Japan? And we would tell them that we're here for Sasuke. And then they would go, Oh, and like put their arm up and put their fingers and like jump and stuff. They're like, Sasuke? Like, yeah, that's what we're doing here. And they're just like, Oh my gosh. You'd see them freak out, and then they'd like grab your arm and squeeze and be like, Oh, so strong. And I was just like, Everyone did that. It was, it was pretty hilarious. Ryan Stratus is another veteran American Ninja Warrior competitor. He's competed in every single season. This is what he remembers about going to Japan. I just miss the,、uh, the Japanese、um, commentators、uh-huh. from the original Sasuke. Because people may not know this or not, but when you're there running the course, the guy that's talking is on a loudspeaker. So you're running the obstacle course and he's screaming Japanese at you <laughs> over, over this PA system. And like, I'm running through the course and I'm hearing him say stuff. And I don't know what the heck he's saying. I hear my name every now and then. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to do good. I hope you're saying some cool stuff. <laughs> I'm just like sitting there trying to, trying to focus on the obstacles, but it's just,、um, it's just a different vibe to it. And it's, it, adds, it, it makes it a little more, I'd say, epic, I guess, whenever we're running through. And those guys know how to, they know how to commentate it.、Um, and it's just really exciting. So the American Ninja Warrior producers did the boot camp for a couple of seasons. And as it was getting more popular, they created their own Mount Midoriyama in Las Vegas. And it just kept getting bigger. They added extra city trials to drag out the suspense. First, it was three cities, then four, then five. Now, not only do they have the main competition, but they've added these specials where they pit American competitors against legendary Japanese competitors. They called it US versus Japan. This past season for the finale, they added European competitors and they called it US versus the world. So, not only is American Ninja Warrior kind of like the underdog of Japanese game show remakes, the one that's slowly growing while others have pattered out, it's also like the Groundhog Day of American Japanese game show remakes. They just keep changing it and changing it, hoping they'll finally get it right. But that's the difference between the Japanese version and the American version from the viewer's point of view. What about from the competitor's point of view? Well, we had to ask someone who's actually competed on both courses. So I think the major difference between here in Japan is scale. Here in America, I had to you know, take a second because I was like, wow, this is a lot farther. These are much bigger and they're farther apart. And instead of being made out of you know, the, the rope that holds them, instead of being hemp, it was nylon. So when you hit them, 
they uh, they squished down, so they gave. And so it was much different. And you change something like the ropes that they hang on or their spacing or their size by just a little bit, and it makes the obstacle completely different and much, much harder. So I, I think things like that here in America, they make it, they make it more difficult. When you ask competitors to talk about the differences between the two shows, there are two things that they notice. One is the physical differences of the course, but the second is the experience, what it feels like when they're filming. Ryan Strata said that in Japan, it felt like a really laid-back festival. Everybody's there to do the same thing, and um, you're there. It's just a one, one, it's a one long day. I mean, we started at like 10 in the morning, uh, and then everything ran until it was done, which is like 4 a.m. the next day. Whereas the American one felt a little more like they were actors on a show. Their days were scheduled, they had to do promos, and they had to be in the stands at a certain time for reaction shots. The differences between the two versions has a lot to do with how Jamie Wright thinks Japanese audiences are used to watching their reality TV versus how Americans like it. Japan was another place where weird people doing weird things live was like, something that people watched before they watched it over here. And still, I mean, like different, very different conceptions of like what's acceptable, um, what kinds of levels of like, um, like real reality you can see on different, like here it's so produced, it's so tailored, it's so uh, narrativized. And I think a lot of the, even the game shows in uh, Japan now are still just like, oh my God, they're just punching that guy in the, the crotch. And people are like, watch, like it's just the strangest thing. <laughs> Like, how much pain and humiliation can he take? We'll see. Let's watch it next Tuesday. Let's make an analogy. Japan's hypothetical crotch-punching show would be pretty stripped down. We'd just be watching a guy get kicked in the nuts, maybe in a silent library, surrounded by his friends who are all trying to be quiet. Japan's version of Ninja Warrior is kind of the same way. It's more stripped down. You're there to watch the guys tackle the obstacles. But Americans need the lead-up to the crotch-punching. We need to know why the crotch punching is happening. What is the relationship between the crotch puncher and the crotch punchy? Did either of them recently hit a low point in their lives? Are either of them in relationships or have cute newborns who are depending on them to succeed? This was especially successful last season with Casey Cadenzaro, who made news as the first woman to qualify for the finals. Oh my goodness! Casey Cadenzaro has done it! So she was the perfect American Ninja Warrior superstar. Not only was she the first woman, she's this tiny 4'11 adorable gymnast. And some of the obstacles where the other guys were big enough to just swing from pole to pole, she had to leap from pole to pole. It was crazy. And not only that, she was dating another American Ninja Warrior guy who trained her. And when she succeeded, he scaled up the tower after her to give her a big kiss. And Stephens is going up to her! They couldn't have written it better. It was perfect television. The positive side of building up these celebrities is that it's ratings gold. The media eats it up, and suddenly everyone is asking whether a woman could be the first to complete the course. Spoiler alert, no. To quote James McGrath, So who won? Nobody won. Even the competitors understand 
that as much as they consider American Ninja Warrior a physically and mentally demanding sport, it is first a TV show. When they audition, sure, they're trying to get as far as they can on the course, but they also have to craft a TV persona. Yan Chen finally got on the show when his 2012 audition tape went viral on YouTube. As an Asian American growing up here in the States, I've heard all sorts of stereotypes about us. Oh shit! That guy's Asian, he must be good at math. I submitted this video, it was really short. I kind of made fun of Asian stereotypes with it because I figured um, that was my only shot. <laughs> I had to kind of throw out my race in that kind of sense, like put it in the sp uh, spotlight. And uh, surprisingly, someone, one of my friends posted it on Reddit and it made front page Reddit. So it, it blew up in popularity and everyone loved it for some reason. I have no idea why. Maybe because it was racist. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and uh, it, it got like a million views and I told production about it. I, said, I sent them a link to my video and I said, hey, check it out. Like a lot of people like my video. Does that increase my chances of getting invited on the show? And the person was really surprised because never before in the history of A&W has a submission video garnered that many views. So he, he was like, all right, you're pretty much a shoe in That said, no matter how far you get on the course or how many times you've been on the show, every season, everyone has to submit a new audition tape. There are no guarantees that you'll be invited back. Yen Chen says there are guys who have gotten all the way to the finals, but maybe didn't have that same TV-friendly it factor. So their runs didn't make it on TV, and they weren't asked back the next year. So if you want to be on the show, you better have a hook. The benefit of the American version being so long is that there's more time to build up these competitors as heroes. So the audiences become more attached to them the more they watch. So that's why there are nicknames and catchphrases. James McGrath has been nicknamed the Beast. He was given the nickname the Beast for his physical prowess, but it's also the intensity with which he competes. And you can see it on his face. He is all business. Oh! Oh! Transition. Wow. That, that's how you do it. That is textbook from the Beast. You better you get off that ball. to get his momentum up. <laughs> and he does it. Just the third man to complete Cannonball Alley, and you can see why they call him the Beast. What a physical performance. He also rips his shirt off sometimes after he hits the buzzer, as you would do if you were the Beast. Yan Chen doesn't see himself as a typical TV personality, but here's what he has going for him in terms of narrative, other than the fact that he's Asian American. Being here in Vegas is the culmination of a decade-long personal journey. After my mother died in 2004, I was in a really dark place and I was very depressed for quite some time. I grew up in a very traditional and conservative Chinese household where we didn't really express our feelings too much. It wasn't until I started to finally realize that there was something I could actually do with my life that I started to climb out of this deep hole that I dug myself into. I just started listing out all the things that I needed to work on to become a complete human being again. I had a debilitating fear of heights, so that's how I got into rock climbing. A perfect place to deal with my fear directly. Being a concert pianist really got me used to the limelight and helped me to perform under stressful situations. I've competed three times on American Ninja Warrior, but this is my first year competing in Vegas. The reason I'm here is because I want to prove to myself that I can actually do this. 
Not compelling enough? The producers didn't think so either. Needs a little bit more visual pizzazz, don't you think? When they were filming his profile, Yen Chen remembers them asking him if he could choose a place to film that was cultural, aka Asian. Okay, so Yen is Taiwanese-American. But look, I'm Taiwanese-American too. We don't spend time hanging out in places that really symbolize our Taiwanese culture. So he tried, but it was hard to explain. He thought maybe something food-related, like how at Chinese restaurants everyone always fights for the check. So that's true, but that's not going to work for television, Yen Chen. It's too confusing. So the producer said, how about we just have you walk around LA's Chinatown? And he said, sure, why not? And sure enough, in one of his profiles, there he is, checking out those red souvenirs in Chinatown. I saw that episode, and I didn't really think too much of it before he told me. I just thought maybe he grew up in LA's Chinatown. But no, it's so we know that he's really Asian, just in case we forgot. But it gets better. They film the competitions way in advance, so when it airs, the competitors are also seeing it for the first time. So when his awesome run aired last season, he started getting phone calls from friends and family, telling him congratulations. But turns out it wasn't because of his amazing performance. It was because there were some reaction shots from his girlfriend who was in the stands cheering him on. But they labeled her his fiance. So everyone was congratulating him because they thought he had just gotten engaged. That was awkward. But here's the best one, Ryan Stratus. Ryan Stratus was known as the Marine guy for a while, but then he got out of the Marines and they needed a new hook. He's now an aspiring stuntman who made an appearance on The Walking Dead but it was really his triceps that caught the attention of producers and fans alike. So much that they coined the term stratusing. That stretching he's doing right there is known as stratusing, something the other ninjas lovingly tease him about. When you got triceps like Ryan, I say go for it. Oh gosh, um, <laughs> my, my buddy of mine, uh, Rico, like he makes these memes sometimes and uh, where he took a photo of me a screen grab where I was just like kind of hunched over like on the on the start platform like I was about to tackle somebody and my my triceps were just popping out uh, <laughs> uh, and they looked they looked huge they looked like they were photoshopped um so he just took that and just made my last name a verb and turned it into stratosine <laughs> <laughs> and then from that photo it spawned all sorts of other photos like people were doing it like they opened the fridge door and they'd start stratosine in front of the fridge or they would be in like <laughs> I mean, in line at the grocery store, you know, it was a whole string of photos that came around, and that was, that was pretty funny. Later, the producers pushed to repackage him as the American Ninja Warrior Bachelor. They wanted him to pose in his apartment, making dinner alone, eating alone. Poor single guy. So hot and so muscular, but no one to share his muscles with. He resisted. He didn't let them shoot that. But he couldn't control what the announcers would say in voiceover as we're watching him run the course. I think this year in Miami, they were like, Ron Stratus is one of the most eligible ninja, bla ninja bachelors. Oh, really? <laughs> so give him, a, give him a call, ladies, or something, something along those lines. Well, for any interested women watching, you really won't meet a nicer guy than Ryan Stratus. So I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> this, is, this is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get an internet reaction to that? Uh, I'm not going to go too far into that. So. No comment, <laughs> no comment. Yeah, yeah, no comment, no comment. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm blushing on the, on the phone right now. <laughs> <laughs> that just speaks to how popular the show's become in America and around the world. Yes, yeah, so it's pretty cool. 
So this is just one thing that's exaggerated on the American version. And it's not just American Ninja Warrior. It's how we watch most of our reality TV, as well as our sports, even our Olympics. But fun and games aside, is American Ninja Warrior a good remake of Sasuke? That's a tricky question. But because there have been so many different versions, I have an answer for you. The answer is, some years they do it better than others. I totally understand the people who saw the first version of American Ninja Warrior and hated it. It sounds terrible. Like you're taking Sasuke and turning it into a combination of Survivor and Big Brother. But the thing is, when you remake something, there has to be changes. So you can't get mad that there are changes. You have to understand why there are changes and what that does to the show. So what makes for a good remake? I think a huge part of it is how respectful they are to the source material. In this case, it's about how much they capture what they call the spirit of Sasuke. That was another early criticism of the show. It's supposed to be a show about camaraderie, where everyone's working together to beat the mountain. But early critics thought the American version was too competitive, that it made it more about competing with each other. That may have been true of the earlier versions, but the show actually does a pretty good job of that now. Nobody's conquered the mountain yet, and although everyone wants to be the first American Ninja Warrior, you also see people rooting each other on. Not to say that there hasn't been some missteps. Like, I don't really like these US versus Japan and US versus the world specials. Because they make it about American patriotism. Like, we're going to defeat the Japanese. And spoiler alert, they do beat the Japanese. But especially knowing that these courses are physically different, and the tiniest differences in an obstacle could cause you to fall into the water, it just seems unfair and kind of disrespectful to the Japanese competitors that were your original heroes. That said, what's become clear over the years is that the spirit of Sasuke comes not necessarily from the different ways NBC packages the show for ratings, but from the American Ninja Warrior competitors themselves. The competitors pay homage to the original Japanese show a lot. For example, Ryan Stratus is particularly proud of this bit that ended up on the show last season. Now Ryan is adding a new wrinkle with the help of his friend and fellow competitor, Michael Bernardo. And he's gonna give Ryan Stratus the ceremonial backslaps. The tradition in Japan where, of course, Ninja Warrior originated. It was an homage to what Nagano did in the Sasuke All-Stars competition. He also got a hard backslap before he raced. And just like the Japanese did, the Americans also build their own obstacle courses and invite American Ninja Warrior competitors all around the country to come and practice together. I like the idea that there are these like American Ninja Warrior communities where they go and work out together. It makes me happy. That's Jamie Wright again. This is Greek, but like old school concept conceptions of Greek, like the struggle, the agon is like not necessarily that you always want to win. Like, of course, you don't want to lose. But if you do lose, losing to a worthy competitor isn't bad. Like you walk off the field still with your head held high because you've played against a worthy opponent. Ryan Stratus says he's surprised the American Ninja Warrior craze has lasted so long, but he thinks he understands why. Everybody roots for the underdog uh, and we're all underdogs up against this huge course and nobody's beaten it, you know, so we're all, we're all hoping somebody's going to do well and beat it eventually. Um, and I think that just kind of, kind of resonates with some people, you know, and they see like a huge goal, you know, maybe they've got something going on in their life that they consider is a, a huge daunting task. Uh, and maybe for this, that two minutes that they watch somebody struggle through a course, maybe that gives them some sort of motivation. Um, in their life, you know, I, I was kind of where I was at when I first saw the show and I was going through some hard times and 
that kind of gave me that um, motivation needed to push through in some other aspects of my life. So is the Japanese one still better? Probably. But that's irrelevant. Because that's a good message, right? So maybe we should start thinking about remakes differently. Because even if you don't prefer this new version, or if they get some of the cultural things wrong, it's a good message to spread to all different types of audiences around the world. Sasuke has aired in 157 different countries. And last year, there was an international cup in Malaysia. Ryan Stratus actually competed in that one too. Last season of American Ninja Warrior brought in the highest ratings they've ever gotten. So they're doing something right. The summer average in total viewers was 5.8 million, 18% higher than the year before, and their finale was the top-rated hour of the night. So you're wondering how you can get on the show, right? The development of the seventh season that will air this summer is already underway. We'll have more information about tryouts at bullettrainpodcast.com. This podcast is produced by me, Craig Stubing, and Brian Hu. It's edited by Craig. Our theme song is by Purple Glitter, and additional music is composed by Gene Chen. Special thanks to Mai Wen, Clayton Doobie, Venus Jones, and Catherine Gao. Check us out at bullettrainpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And find us on Twitter if you'd like Ryan Stratus' phone number. Just kidding, Ryan. Uh, I'm not going to go too far into that. Also on our website, a baby who wants to be the next American Ninja Warrior. I know, a baby. Bullet Train is brought to you by Asia Pacific Arts, an online magazine published by the USC-US China Institute under the Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism. This is part of our three-episode launch. The previous episode was about why there are so few famous Asian American women storytellers on YouTube. The next episode of Bullet Train is about humor greeting cards, like someecards.com. We see sarcastic birthday cards and Valentine's Day cards all the time, but since Chinese New Year is coming up, we thought, can we come up with some snarky one-liners about Chinese New Year? I hope it's a very good joke, not a bad joke that all people get mad. That's the next stop on Bullet Train.